Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. And today I want to do a unique message where it will just be a standalone message today. But I want to talk to you for just the next few minutes about the presidential election on Tuesday and about our response to it. And don't worry, I'm not going to try to tell you who to vote for. That's not what this is about today at all, okay? But I think it's important for us to talk about the fact that we are in a very unique moment in time and history as a nation, very contentious time, a time where I can't remember a time where people are more passionate about their politics than right now. And it doesn't help anything with the, the news and social media feeds that come into our life that tend to reinforce the kind of uh, polarization that's happening in our country of sort of making us and them kind of a mentality and, and even kind of a tribalism where we're only listening to, or you're kind of encouraged to at least, only listen to the voices that support your presuppositions politically. So you really only listen to those voices that speak into what you already believe. So when that begins to happen, and I know this may not ever happen to you guys, but what it does is it begins to cause you to look at people who are the political opponents to your view as sort of ridiculous. Why on earth would anybody hold that view? Why would they think that way? How could they ever come to that conclusion? Because we assume they're listening to all the same stuff that we are. They're listening to the same voices. They're watching the same YouTube videos. They're watching. They're, they're exposed to all the same. And they are, on the other end, watching and listening to the same and feeling the same way. And what's interesting is it's not just ridiculous views. We don't stop there. We begin to look at the people themselves with disgust and repulsion. Like, we don't even want to be around, associate with, we don't want to be next to, we don't want to even be close to people who think like, vote like, act like that, okay? And so, um, and, and if enough time goes by, you'll look around in your life and you'll say, well, all my friends and all my close acquaintances all pretty much think like and vote just exactly like me, to which you may be saying, so what's the problem, Will, you know? What's the, what's the deal? What's the trouble with that? And that is what we're going to talk about today. That's what we're going to discuss because we are a church here at Brazos Fellowship that, have, that are made up of people from a wide spectrum of political views because we are made up of a, a group of people that, are, that represent a, a, a wide spectrum of experiences have come from different cultures who have different backgrounds that grew up with different races, right? So, and I think that is beautiful and I love that about our church. I love that we're not all exactly alike and I think that as we're gonna look at today, God is pleased with that. But with that, comes a spiritual challenge. So here is our spiritual challenge, the kind of spiritual challenge that our kind of church affords us, okay? Here it is. We have to learn how to disagree politically, but love unconditionally. Now, when I put that on the board and let you look at it, 
I would think that most of you would say, okay, yeah, I think as Christians we're supposed to agree with that, and I, I for the most part, agree with that. But my hope is today, my prayer is for you, is that you would go beyond just saying, okay, I accept that intellectually, I agree with that as a statement, but you would want that, that you would actually want and desire to live that out in your own life personally. And again, that's, that's quite a challenge. But here's a question I want you to begin to think about, all right? I'm putting it another way. Are you willing to elevate, or pardon me, are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of your faith rather than creating a version of faith that supports your politics? Are you using your faith as a filter for your politics, or is it the other way around? Your politics really inform your faith. And if I could be just brutally honest with you, at this particular moment in time in our country, in this in this unique political environment and climate that we're in right now, many, many Christians are not doing a great job at this. There, many Christians are not letting their faith inform their politics. It's very much the other way around. And it's a challenging time to be able to step back and say, is that me? Am I adding to that? And I think we all need to ask the question. And as we're asking the question, I want us to evaluate it through a powerful and important prayer that Jesus prayed right before he was arrested, stood trial, and crucified, right towards the end of his ministry. And it's in the Gospel of John, the fourth of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 17, it's described as the high priestly prayer. It is the prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples, and as we're going to see in just a minute, even for us, specifically us, in the future, that he prays for right before all this is about to transpire. So here's how the prayer begins. It's chapter 17. We're going to look at verse 1. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Now this idea of glory, to glorify, it means to reflect the true nature and character and person of God. That he's about to glorify the Father. And here's the irony about the cross and what Jesus was about to do for all of us, for all humankind. As he's dying on the cross, the, the moment of the greatest glorification where God was most glorified would have been the moment, if we were standing there, we would have been the most horrified. It was the moment when everybody wanted to look away because of how Jesus looked and what he was going through in that moment. But the Father did not look away. The Father and the Son were one. They were unified in the mission and the message of the cross. And I want you to keep that in mind as you think about the rest of this prayer. So Jesus begins to pray something so important. And it's a part of the prayer that I think many Christians don't know that Jesus prayed this for us. He, they don't understand this part of the prayer. But in verse 11, here's what Jesus prays. He says, Holy Father, protect them. He's praying for, our, the, for the protection of his, his followers, his disciples. Protect them by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that they may be, let's read these highlighted words together, so that they may be one as we are one. He's saying, God in heaven, help my followers who are from very diverse backgrounds. 
They all have different stories. They all have different cultures. They have, in some ways, grown up even with varying language barriers and different things like that. I'm asking you, Lord, to help them to come together, set aside their differences, and learn to work together. I'm praying for their oneness, their unity. And if they can learn how to work together, the world will change for the better, for your glory. And if they don't, if they don't, then at best the church is going to stall out and they're going to lose sight of the glory and the power and the reason that the church exists in the first place. So he puts it out there. And then what's interesting, a few verses later, Jesus shifts the focus of his prayer, not from his current 12 disciples, but he shifts it to us today. Here's what he says in verse 20. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will, this is the future, who will believe in me through their message. I'm praying for all those in the future. And what did he pray for us? What he prayed next for us is something that many of us, I would argue, probably never pray for ourselves. We don't even think to pray for ourselves, or maybe it doesn't occur to us that it's a priority or should be a priority that we are praying for ourselves. But in verse 21, here's what Jesus says. He says that all of them, he's thinking about all of the future followers, all of the future children of God, all the Jews and the Gentiles, the non-Jews, all the men and the women, all of the tax collectors who were seen as the absolute traitors among the Jewish people. They were, they, seen, they were seen as traitors to their own country. It would be like if you knew somebody that was caught selling U.S. secrets to North Korea and Jesus is saying, I want you to, be, I want you to love that person. I want you to be really kind to them. I want you to, <laughs> I want you to include them right? That would be hard, wouldn't it? It would be really hard. He's saying tax collectors and the people they collect taxes from. I want those who are military leaders for the Roman government, who are also seen as enemies to the Jewish people, and all the civilians, all the rich, all the poor, all the educated, and all the uneducated. In today's application, Jesus would say all the Republicans, all the Democrats, all the independents and libertarians and undecided. All of the black people, the white people, the brown people, and the beige people, and all of the people. I want all of them. He's praying this for all of us, guys. I hope you hear this. And what does he say? That all of them may be, let's say it together, may be one. I hope you begin to see there's a theme throughout this prayer, okay? They all may be one that they would be one. And as impossible as that first phrase sounds to us, as impossible as it sounds to us, Jesus, please hear me, he saw it as mission critical for the church. Mission critical that they would be one. And he goes on. He prays, Father, just as you and I, you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that and every time he says so that, he's showing us why. Here's the because. So that the world may, let's say it together, may believe, to be convinced of, to be confident of, that you have sent me. Jesus is saying, 
I want the world to know that I came from you. I am your son, and I am the hope of the world. I am the savior of the world. And a big part of how it gets communicated to the rest of the world is this oneness that they would begin to see that glory reflected in, the, in my people. This oneness, this love, this kindness, this openness, this willingness to bridge gaps across cultural and racial and political lines, all of the lines that tend to divide us. Beautiful. In other words, here's what Jesus is showing us through this powerful and beautiful prayer, that our diversity met with unity points people to Jesus, points the world to Jesus. Our diversity met with unity points the world to Jesus. This is what he's showing us. It's a huge part of the process and he's showing us that it is through us learning how to love one another well and being able to set aside differences background differences and political and racial and and, and um, cultural and if the world sees that people are willing to take some of those fundamental parts of who they are and set them aside in order to love their brothers and sisters in Christ because they love their God more than any other man-made system, human-made system. What a powerful message. He's showing us this is the secret to captivating the attention of the world because there's nothing else like it. There's nothing in the world that brings people together like that where they genuinely care for each other. They're not just coming together to make a profit. They're not just coming together to... Um, create some kind of objective so that they get richer or more powerful. It is simply because they love God and love each other. What an incredible, incredible, powerful thing. And if you do this, Jesus is showing us, if you learn to do this, his first century followers, you'll captivate the attention of the Roman Empire and the preceding generations of followers of Jesus will captivate whatever nation they belong to if they, choose, if they really deep down choose to follow what he's saying. And what Jesus is ultimately doing is he's asking the Father to nudge his people towards obeying a command that he had just given them earlier that same day. Right before the Last Supper, right before the last Passover meal that Jesus had with the disciples in John chapter 13, he gives them this command. You think about it, like, what would the last command that Jesus is trying to remind and to give to his followers right before the cross would be a really important one, right? Well, John chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, here's what Jesus tells them as he gathers them together. He says, a new, let's say it together, a new command. I want you to see that. It's not a suggestion. It's not like, if you get around to it, this might be a good idea. No, he's saying, this is a command, command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so there's your example, to the extent to which I was willing to show you love, given my life, I want you to show love to one another. As I have loved you, so you, let's say it together, so you must love. It's imperative. It's not optional. Once again, it's a, it's a command. You must love one another. Now, why, Jesus? To what end? By this, everyone all ethnos, all people groups, the whole world will know that you are my disciples, my followers, my people, my children. You will reflect the heart and nature of your Father. You will, you will show forth the glory of God from your life when you learn to love like Jesus loves. 
It will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Now think about it. This is like the most important thing. He's trying to remind them right before he goes to the cross. He's like, listen, I want you to learn to love. That you can disagree, but you can disagree civilly and peacefully and still love one another. That's okay. And sometimes love means speaking the truth in love. Sometimes we, in our culture today, has embraced this idea of love as being that you have to hook, line, sinker, accept everything and all of it about somebody, or it's not loving. Well, that's not loving. If you see somebody self-destructing, they're destroying their life, right? Jesus showed us that he spoke into people's life. He challenged them. He made them uncomfortable sometimes, and that was love too. But he's showing us that is the kind of love I want to help unify you. So let's go back to our prayer in John 17. Back to our prayer. Jesus continues to pray. I have given them the, let's say it together, the glory, this, this nature and character of God. I've given them the, your glory that you gave me, that they may be, let's say it together, one as we are one, you see the theme, like it continues to run throughout all of it. He says, I in them and you in me, so that, again, here's the why, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Now notice he says complete unity and not political unity. Complete unity. That we are unified in our worldview that we are unified around the idea that we have as children of God, as disciples of Jesus, same thing, that we have one Father, we are one family, and we are to love one another, and that we are to share this message of Jesus' love and forgiveness with other people. And as we begin to love each other like that, and you begin to get to know somebody, and you hear their story, and even though we've grown up in the same country, what you will find is that not everybody's experience of growing up in this country is the same. And it will help you to empathize and understand and co have compassion for other people who are different from you that also claim Jesus as their Lord. And when we begin to see each other differently, we treat each other differently, guess what? A watching world that's watching us will not only see us differently, but they will begin to see our God differently. You know why? Because his glory, as Jesus prayed for, will begin to emanate. It will begin to shine forth from us like never before because we're showing love like never before. It's powerful. It's incredible. And it, there's nothing like it in the world. In the next verse, Jesus goes on to say, Then the world will know that you sent me, and I have loved them even as you have loved me. And shortly after this prayer, Jesus was arrested. He was tried. He was crucified. Then he resurrected from the dead on the third day, walked among them for 40 days. He ascended into heaven and his followers went out, and his prayer to his father was fulfilled in that first century. His followers went out with one purpose and one message into the streets of Jerusalem, preaching boldly, knowing that their life was, could be put, it was totally on the line, and they would be persecuted for what they were doing, but they did it together 
they loved one another and they showed forth that love in the, how they communicated and the one message that they shared was that Jesus Christ exactly as he prayed he is the son of God and he died for all people on the cross, resurrected from the dead, paying the penalty for sin so that through faith in him, you can become a child of God. There is a way now to know God, to be forgiven and be in right relationship with God, to be a member of his family, one of his kids through Jesus Christ. And this is so important for us to remember right down to this day because the stakes are high. They're as high now as they ever have been. That as we proceed forward, it's, it's a different worldview. It's a different agenda than one that's political. Let me explain what I mean. Your candidate will win or lose based on how America votes on Tuesday. But the church will win or lose based on our behavior every single day going forward. And God's saying, I want you to keep your eye on this ball right here. I'm not saying... Don't vote. I'm not saying it's not important. All that's true. But this is something that Jesus is saying, this is what I'm praying for. This is what I desire. This is what I yearn for and want for you. In other words, Jesus' prayer reminds us we must not let anything divide us or anyone as the family of God. We need to continue to work towards the uncomfortable and, 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 and inconvenient and sometimes um, frustrating connections with people who are really different from us. And what's interesting is that historians would tell you that in this country, that I'd say the, the vast majority of historians agree about this, that, that Christianity has helped to shape Western civilizations that Christianity and its ethic and its teaching and its message, even and staunch atheist historians would agree with this, that it is what has shaped the structure of how Western society has been put in place, not American politics, but Christian ethics. It was the teaching of Jesus that laid the framework, even in this country, for things like that we take for granted now, things that we all accept, things like justice, things like fairness, and the dignity of all people, right? That came from, you go back and look at those loud voices that were preaching and speaking out. They were coming from this book. They were coming from the teaching of Jesus. That's what changed the world, and do we get this right all the time? We have not gotten this right. You guys know that in our history, and we still get it wrong at times. But here's Jesus' prayer, and here's what I want to remind you today, that our hope always and going forward, our hope is not in a political system or in a political candidate. Our hope is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Son of the living God. That is our hope in this world. This is not a political candidate. And, and I just want to remind you, just about our brief 244-year history here in this country, that both major political parties right now, both Democrats and Republicans have times where they have failed us as American people majorly, morally, through leadership. They both have. And they both have had times where they almost had to shut the doors and turn off the lights and never come back. 
They've almost completely gone under. And we forget that there have been major political parties throughout our history that have done just that. Let, let me just ask as a show of hands right now, anybody here consider themselves a member of the Whig Party? All right? Anybody here? The Whig Party? How about Federalists? Do we have any Federalists in the building? Right? We forget the Whigs, the Federalists. They were the dominant U.S. political party for a period of time. They ran everything, right? They're long gone. They disappeared. There's, it's, a, it's a human-made system. Now, so here's my question for you. Why would we, as followers of an eternal king, allow ourselves to be divided by a temporary political system? We know it to be true. Why would we do that? I just encourage you today to really think about what are you allowing you, what, what are you allowing to divide you from other people who may say, I'm a child of God too. Later in his life, the dis same disciple, disciple John, he's now much, much older on the island of Patmos. God speaks to him and he gives him a little glimpse of heaven. What is it going to look like? What, what, what might we see when we get to heaven? It's a little preview. Anybody here like movie previews? I love movie previews, okay? It's kind of like a little movie preview, right? And John translates it for us. He, he gives us a little glimpse of what it might look like in this last book of the Bible written by John, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. Here's what John writes. So beautiful. He says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every, let's say it together, from every nation, tribe, people, and language. That's everybody. Like, every people group is represented, right? Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. It was a great multitude that no one could count. Nearly infinite people in every direction. Billions, maybe even trillions of people. Can you imagine just an ocean of people, of every different type of pe person that has ever lived. They're all there. And he goes on to say this. They were wearing white robes. This symbolizes sinless perfection, holiness. And down in verse 14, we're told they were made white because they were washed in the blood of the Lamb. Jesus' blood made them white, made us all pure, clean, sinless, holy because of what he did for us. Holding, they were holding palm branches in their hands and these palm branches were historically known, symbolic for victory, triumph because our king, King Jesus, is the victor over all things. That's what we're celebrating and they cry out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God. Can you imagine the voices, all these billions and trillions of voices at the top of our lungs, we're yelling this, we are proclaiming it just as proud and as courageous as we can. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb that is King Jesus that he reigns forever and ever, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And God is showing us this will 
come to pass. This is my heart and my dream for you as my people. So the question is, do you look like your picture? Does your life begin to include people different from you? Because God says, my picture does, and you're a part of it. So you ought to include. Go out of your way. Be inconvenienced. Feel uncomfortable at times. It's going to be a little messy. It's okay. Show love to people different than you. That you can disagree politically, but yet love unconditionally. So important that we don't let go of that. The unity that Jesus prayed for. And here's our application prayer. Jesus, make us one so that we can have influence, can have influence, influence many for your name and for your glory, that they would see you in us. Help me to look for an opportunity to love somebody that I disagree with politically. What? Did he just put that on the board? That's right. This week, I know even putting that up there, some of you are going, I ain't doing that. But a lot of you will, and that's why I put it on there. Because some of you will. Some of you will step out. Some of you have got the courage, the guts to trust God just that much that you will encourage, pray for, help. You will assist. You will show compassion, empathy for people that think different, vote different, hold different ideologies, have had different backgrounds, different cultures, different races, different than you. It's so important we learn how to do this. My goodness. If we don't, it's not just the future of our country, it's the future of our church, all of them, that hangs in the balance. And why do we do this? Because Jesus, you are my king. Not a political leader. Regardless of who becomes the next president, they are not our king. Jesus is our king. And aren't you glad? He's so much better. He's so much more faithful. He's so much more loving. He's so much more gracious and righteous. and Like he wants the best for you and he will work for it. And he will use you to make an eternal difference in this world. And he wants you to take a step towards him today. Would you do that? Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.